How you doing? Good. It is good to see you. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, it is great to have all the campuses join us as well. There's folks in Aurora and Crystal Lake and the Cathedral, and I'm going to keep uh, Help me. I know Elgin. I'm, <laughs> I'm missing one. Uh, North Shore. Oh, they're forgettable. Um, I'm kidding. God bless you guys up in the North Shore. I was actually out at Elgin this week. Those of you guys who have been to that building, of course, many of you have. Uh, it is an, a labyrinth. I have no idea where I am. I usually, I know, I, I know I have an office there. I don't actually know where it is in the building. I sometimes arrive at it out of just dumb luck. This last week on Friday, I was trying to show my wife and daughter who just arrived on Thursday night the, the building out there and where my office was. And I said, no, it's over this way. And we came out and I, I'm not sure where I was. And then I walked around for a while and then I ended up, I think, in St. Charles. And uh, finally, this dear, this dear uh, girl who is uh, part, of the, part of the facility crew there, her name is Kia, she looked at me, she said, hi, like she knew me, and I said, can you help me? She said, yeah, I can take you where you need to go, and then she walked up somewhere I don't even know and didn't remember, and then she showed me my office. So if you are in Elgin and you see me wandering around, please help. Uh, yeah, I would not be here today if it weren't for Kia, so shout out to Kia. God bless her. God bless her. Look, you're going to need a Bible, and you're going to need to turn it to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7 to 14 today. And while you're turning there, let me just uh, tell you a little bit about how I began in ministry. My father-in-law asked me to become a youth pastor when I, be I, I graduated from college. I had nothing else going on. I had no idea what it is that I was going to do. And so he called me on the phone and he said, would you be interested in working with kids, with high school kids? And I was like, sure. Uh, I didn't really have a whole lot of background in evangelical Christianity, but I thought, uh, how hard could it be, right? Pizza, it's good. So I went to the middle of nowhere in uh, a wheat field in east, eastern Washington, which this seriously, the church was right in the middle uh, of a wheat field out there. And as a youth pastor, there was my opportunity to build up some leaders and get some of the kids in the community around. It was a very small town, about 2,000 people. So we're not talking like big youth ministries, but we, we had actually had a lot of kids from the school start attending our youth ministry. It was in my house, my apartment, which was above a morgue, which I'll tell you about another time. So seriously, in the middle of the night, you'd hear the door open below and you're like, someone else is gone. Anyway, um, it's good stories. Anyway, uh, we'd have all these kids over into our apartment, and that would be our youth group. And uh, there was one guy who was a leader who I asked, he would, he'd been involved for a long time. I'd asked to be involved, and, but when he would come, he would stand in the doorway of our apartment. We'd left the door open, right, of the apartment. And he would stand, literally, in the doorway with one foot inside our room and the other foot outside, and he'd kind of hug, hug the, the door frame. You know, and every once in a while, he'd lean forward and say something, and then he'd back right out. Again, lean forward, and he did this week after week after week. And I finally got to the point, and I said to him, man, look, can you just make a decision here? Can you either come in or stay out? But this half-hearted, hey, maybe, but maybe not kind of attitude is just not going to do when it comes to loving kids for Christ. I've thought about that a lot over the years, that image of one foot in, one foot out, 
I thought about it a lot because uh, I don't know if you know this, but there are an awful lot of people who claim to be Christians in the world who seem to treat, treat Jesus that way. They seem to treat the kingdom of God as if, hey, I kind of sometimes want to be in there, especially on Sunday mornings when it gains me some points with all of my peers and they think I'm a good guy because I go to church. And then, you know, midweek, I'm going to be a different person. And then on the week and then over here on a Wednesday night, sometimes in here and then. And if you want to know what Jesus thinks about that, uh, he says in a passage in Revelation chapter 3, it's one of the letters to the churches in Revelation, he says this, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you would, you, you were either cold or hot, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, here, here's what the Lord Jesus, meek and mild, says, I'm going I'm to spit you out of my mouth. What makes Jesus puke? Lukewarm Christians. I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of lukewarm Christians, especially in the United States. Um, 45, according to the Barna Research Group, 45% of the American population has prayed a prayer of repentance to God. You know, you have the big meeting and come on forward, we're going to pray now and come forward and we'll... We'll get you in the front, come to the altar, we say in Christianese, come forward, and then we're going to have you pray, and they, you pray the prayer, and 45% of the American population has done that. How many of that 45% has it made a significant difference in the way that they live? There's a lot of lukewarm Christians. Christians? Campus Crusade for Christ uh, was the name of the college ministry when I was younger. Uh, I think it's called Crew now. They used to do this uh, illustration that really tried to explain kind of the different way people relate to, to Jesus. They, they said there are three ways. Now, I'm not suggesting that they were right that there are three ways. I have some problems with this illustration, but I actually think it does describe a little bit of the lukewarmness. They would say, look, there's some people, they draw these big... So, do you like my board? I love my board. Okay, uh, there's three different kinds, right? This is not a surprised person. Um, there are three different kinds of people. There are those people. So, here's the throne of Christ in, in your life. Some people aren't Christians, so the, the, the cross of Jesus is outside of their circle. They're just not interested. They're not, they're not there yet. The goal, of course, of, of the ministry is to get those people in there. And, and then there are people, though, who, who are true Christians, and they have the throne, and then they have Jesus sitting on the throne of their lives. They treat him as he's the king and he's the Lord. But then there's this group, said Campus Crusade and Bill Bright. There's a group of people who have Jesus in their lives, but he's certainly not on the throne. What do you, what do, you do with these guys? Look, at, I, what I'm talking about here is a lot of your friends and family. What I'm, talk, what I'm talking about here is a lot of people who are sitting here. One foot in, one foot out. Pray to prayer. But did it make a difference? So the question I want to ask today is, how do genuine believers relate 
to half-hearted sleepy ones? How should those who genuinely love the Lord deal with the lukewarm in their lives? We all have lukewarm in our lives. What do we do about them? Do we have a responsibility toward them? You just live and let live? Like what? What do we do as brothers and sisters in Christ to try to encourage them, move them forward, or what? What do we do? And I think in this passage, that's what's being addressed. Three things that he's going to point out, the Apostle Paul. Number one, don't be like them. He says to those who are genuine believers and they're looking at the lukewarm, don't be like them. Second, expose them. And third, awaken them. Don't be like them. Expose them. Awaken them. Here's the first of those. Don't be like them. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Why not? Well, at one time you were, you were darkness, but now you're, you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I first want to talk a little bit about that word. Do not become partners with them. Uh, why is this here, the therefore? Well, whenever you see a therefore, you find out what it's there for, and you go back one little section. And so this is what immediately precedes this passage in the book of Ephesians. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, this means greedy, that is an idolater, has no inheritance, guys, in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So let no one deceive you with empty words. Let nobody come along and tell you, oh, no, it's going to be just fine. You can keep living these unrepent unrepentantly sexually immoral or impure lives, and it's all going to be good. At the end of the day, Jesus is going to pat you on the back and say, welcome in, buddy. Nope. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, impurity, sexual immorality, greed, the wrath of God comes upon who? The son's of disobedient. He's calling Christians that. He's calling a bunch of people who visit to a church, a whole bunch of people who say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I still live sexually morally, the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. What them? The sons of disobedience. Don't become partners with them. What does that mean? What, is it, what, it, what does it mean to be a partner? Well, that word actually is translated in other places as uh, partaker or participant with. Uh, one of the challenges I have in my, in my marriage is that my wife's amazing. Now, uh, you, she is amazing, but she also has these idiosyncrasies like a love for broccoli. <laughs> Most of you know that Broccoli is the devil's tree, yes? <laughs> she, she thinks it's not. She thinks that God made broccoli. He didn't. It's part of the fall. God made M&Ms and then Satan turned into broccoli, right? So anyway, she has this thing. She's like, well, Jeff, you need to, you need to be eating broccoli because it's good for you. Look, it's green and it looks like a tree and you eat other trees. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to eat broccoli. I've tried it before. It's terrible. Like when you cook it, it makes the entire house smell like the cat did something in here. I don't want to eat the broccoli. It's terrible. 
It's terrible. She said, yep, what if I cover it with a lot of cheese? Doesn't help. Doesn't help. You could cover it with chocolate. I still wouldn't eat it. Right, so broccoli. But she's always trying to get me to eat the broccoli. She's, she wants me to partake of the broccoli. She wants me to be a participant with her in the broccoli eating. She wants me to be a partner in darkness. That's what the word means. When we read that, we think to ourselves, well, it means we're not supposed to go into business with people. It's not what he's saying. Do not become partners with them means don't follow them in their wickedness. Don't follow them in their sexual immorality. Don't follow them in their impurity. Do not become like them. Why not? Like, what's his reasoning for why you ought not become like them? For, there you get it, at one time you, you were, uh, past tense, you were darkness, but, but now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. You used to be somebody who was a son of darkness. That's what everybody was. But then God in his grace transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear son. And now you're light in the Lord. Which way should you live as a son of darkness or a son of the light? Walk as children of light. Be who you are. I got a phone call this last week. My son took it. It was a phone call from uh, the government of Canada. And if you don't know, if you've not seen in the news, Canada has decided that uh, if you come back from anywhere across the border, you have to quarantine for two weeks. Doesn't matter. If, doesn't matter mostly for, for anything. They've just changed it so that if you, if you have your full vaccine, you can try to prove it, you can get out of it. But for the whole year, it was like travel anywhere outside of Canada, even if you're a Canadian citizen, you come back and you have to do two weeks of uh, house arrest, basically. You stay in your house. You weren't allowed to go in your front yard. You had to stay in your, on your balcony for some reason. Oh, anyway, they, they, I went back to Canada just a number of weeks ago, and uh, they wanted me to quarantine fully, even though I was fully vaccinated and stuff. And so we were only there for a couple days, and then we came back. But on their books, I'm still supposed to be quarantining there. So they called on the phone, and they say, hey, we're just checking in on you to make sure that you're quarantining. And my son said, no. <laughs> and they said, well, why not? And he said, I'm not, we're not there. We're not there. We're in the United States now. And so and they said, well, um, can you verify that for us and whatever like that? And my son was like, no. Talk to you later, right? And we're, we're done. So, so why is he able to do this? And the, the reason is simple. The reason is that we don't live under that kingdom any longer. Therefore, the rules of that kingdom do not apply. You can make all the rules they want, but I don't live under that kingdom. I have left the kingdom of darkness. <laughs> Sorry, my Canadian brothers and sisters, it's not. You get the picture, though. You left the kingdom of darkness, and I come to the kingdom of light, right? And so, but you see the image. Right? That's what he's playing with. Why in the world, if you're in the kingdom of light, would you live like someone in darkness? 
Why would you listen to the slave master of your former kingdom when there's another who bought you with a price and brought you into the kingdom of light? Walk, then, as children of light. What does that mean? Okay, okay, walk as children of light. What does that look like? Well, he tells you the fruit of the light is found in all that's good, right, and true. Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. This, uh, this word, the way that the sentence basically works is it says, walk as children of light, and this is what we call a participle. The actual translation should be trying. Ooh, that's horrible. That looks, says trying. Trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So in other words, walk as children of light. How? By trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So the thing that every Christian should be asking themselves at every turn in every situation is, what will please the Lord my God and Savior and King and owner, because we are slaves, what would please him in this circumstance? Because I'm under his jurisdiction. I'm under his authority, his benevolent kindness. I'm under it. Not under what the kingdom of darkness wanted me to do. So Romans chapter 6 uses this image really well. Paul does this language uh, all over the place, okay? So I'm just going to keep showing you passages where this be who you are is is everywhere. Uh, He says, but thanks be to God in Romans chapter 6 that you who are once slaves, there it is, once slaves of sin... You you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been, past tense, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Don't tell me that you're totally free. You were transferred from one kingdom and one dominion and one ruler to another. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, that's what people under that kingdom do, leading to more lawlessness, so now, because you've been transferred into the kingdom of light, present your members as slaves. Members, by the way, is your body parts. As slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You are slaves of righteousness because you're in the kingdom of the righteous one. Be who you are. The image here is so great. I just want you to picture in your mind that uh, you are a a slave. The people here in the States, we have a a rich, bad memory of that kind of thing. Imagine that you are a slave. You've gotten off the boat. There have been competition to buy you. The person who finally wins takes you in shackles to their to their property, and they do with you whatever it is that they wish because you are their property now. They use you for different sexual reasons. They use you for, for, for kinds of work. They don't really care a lot about you except in the same way that you care about your car. You've got to keep it working so you can, get to, you can get to your job. You're whipped when things don't go right. You're whipped when they kind of go right, but they don't go fully right. You live in that kind of situation as as a slave to this wicked master 
for years and years and years. And then one day, a kind, benevolent master comes along and he purchases you. And when he purchases you, he says to you, he looks at you in the eye and he says, look, I didn't buy you so that you would have to serve me like that. I bought you out of grace. I bought you so that I could set you free. Now, your response to this king should be, I, I, I will do whatever you say then. I mean, I'm, if you bought me with grace, I got nowhere else to go. You're kind and benevolent and lovely. So then you live with him for a while and you realize that life is totally different under this king, under this slave owner. But then one day you're walking down the street of the village and across the street you hear your old slave owner. Boy, he says. Get over here. Every part of your being wants to respond by saying, oh, yes, sir. Because you're used to it, right? You're used to it. What should you do in this moment when your old master calls you to submit to his authority? Come over here. Serve me, he says. You should stop in the middle of the street and think, hmm. Who am I? Do I belong to this one or to another? He's calling you on the phone saying, are you quarantining? What should you say? <laughs> no. <laughs> come, boy. No. I said come. No. Guys, listen. This is, this is the way you walk in Christ. You have to recognize at each step of every day that there will be a call from your former master, sin, and he will want you to come and submit to him at every turn. Come on, look at those images. Come on, gossip like that. Come on. Lie. Be greedy. Come on. That's the real life is in all of those things. And he's going to call you to live that way. But listen, you don't have to. You can stop in the middle of the road and say, I think you're a bit of a jerk. So I'm not going to listen to you. I counsel men from time to time who are struggling with pornography, and one of the lines I hear repeatedly from them, I just, I just can't, I just can't give it up. I can't be free from it. And the first thing I say every time, you are free from it. Do you, do you understand? You are free from that master. You are. So be who you are. Paul, he keeps saying it, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your, your body, see, this is who you are, a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were once darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Live as, Christ, as children of light. So don't become like them. This is first line. Is like you see all these people who are, who are half-hearted Christian people, Christian people around you. Don't become like them. Steer clear of that way of life because that's not, they're living a lie. If they're genuinely Christian, they're living a lie. Live the truth. Be who you are. 
Second one, he says, uh, expose them. This is a bit of a challenging little, little take he's got here. Verse 11 of uh, Ephesians chapter 5. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, right? So you're light in the Lord. So take no part of the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Look, it's shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything's exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is, is light. What are you supposed to do? You don't become like them. Don't take part in it. Expose them. That's what light does, right? We all know this. When we were little kids, our parents would say, go downstairs to the basement, and all of us would shudder. Oh. I, I don't want to. Why not? Oh, it's dangerous. Mom and dad, we had, a big, we had a house that had a big basement. So my mom and dad would send me down to the basement from time to time. I don't know what my mom was thinking. She used to put like all of the non-perishable things way, way back in the corner of the basement. You could walk through a labyrinth of, of doors and you would come to this, this other door. You'd open it up and it was like a bunker. Like you could see the, the, the foundation of the house around it and then there's little shelves and you'd have to go in there, right? It smelled like a zombie was living there. So you'd go down there and be, you'd have to go past the furnace room, the, the door that went underneath the stairs, which is exactly where I would hide if I were one of them. And you, you, you keep going through. My dad had an office in there, a large office, and so you'd have to kind of walk through. What do you do as your little kid when you're going through there? Well, you, first of all, you do it as fast as you possibly can, but you never do it in the dark, right? You put the light on first and you wait because that's going to flush them out right? And then you go forward again, and you turn another light on, and wait, and you find that's what light does. It exposes the zombies, and you know that. It, ex it exposes what's in the dark, the danger of the dark. I used to work at a camp, and one of the things we did, we'd have a weekend that we'd take a bunch of the kids uh, who really wanted to have a, like a camping exp expedition. We'd take them away to this place up in the mountains, and it was after a week of camp with a bunch of junior high kids, and so some of them would, like, get little crushes on each other. And now, when we're up in the mountains, this would be their opportunity to go hide in the bushes and smooch each other. And so, as one of the counselors, my job in the evening was to take my very bright flashlight and shine it in the bushes, right? Everywhere, everywhere you know what it's like. You find, you hear a rustling. Oh, that's a bear. No, you, you go over here, and there are the kids, and they're smooching. Oh, and they look, you know, like cockroaches ready to... No. They're not cockroaches. They're lovely, lovely young children who made in the image of God. But that's, that's what he's saying here. That I want you to expose them. You, look, you are the light. Expose them. Now, there's a couple different ways, I think, that you can expose them. Um, what does it lo look like to expose the works of darkness? Uh, most of us, when we hear that, they're like, oh, yeah, that's what Westboro Baptist is doing, right? Outside the... The graves are the ones who are shaking their fists saying, God hates all of you because you're not righteous like we are. No. This is not referring to, to unbelievers, right? The whole context here is about Christians. The sons of darkness are people who think that they're Christian but are living lives of sexual immorality, unrepentant sexual immorality. So, when it says expose them, it's saying expose so-called Christians who are perpetuating in unrepentant sin. 
expose them. How? Well, uh, did you notice the language here says that you are the light? You, you, you were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Um, probably one of the things that's meant here is that when you live your life genuinely out in front of all your brothers and sisters, those who are real and those who are fake, one of the things that you will find is that your realness, your genuineness as a Christian will shed light in comparison on those who are not. You've seen the laundry commercials? The laundry commercials are the same the world over. Basically, here's a sock we washed with, you know, your grandmother's uh, tide. And here's a sock that we washed with Purcell. Notice how the Purcell one gleams, right? The Tide one is dirty and gross. By the way, I don't Tide. This sermon brought to you by Purcell. So I don't care which, which brand you pick here. I'm, I'm just saying that there's a comparison going on. Well, that's what really what happens when you as a Christian live your life freely and openly and honestly and genuinely as a real Christian, the fruit of righteousness is showing itself and it tends to, by contrast, expose the fruit of unrighteousness. People outside the church look at you and end up saying, you know what, that person's different. That Christian is different than that one who says that they're a Christian. So yeah, one of the ways that we expose them is we live holy lives around each other. But another way that we expose them is we rebuke in love. There are a lot of misunderstandings about judgment among Christian people, even that language. You know what the most well-known verse in the Bible is? Most of you would know. There it is. Judge not that you be not judged. Like everybody knows it. Judge not that you be not judged. For, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So whatever standard that you have in judging other people, that is a standard that will be, God will apply to you. So why do you see, see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, well, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. See, you hypocrite. What he's talking about here is hypocritical judgment, right? I'm speeding really fast and going, what a jerk that guy is for speeding. I lie all the time. I can't stand it when people lie to me. That's what he's saying. So if you're going to go and confront your brother or sister and say, you're such a liar, and you've been lying all the time, that's what it's saying. Wait a minute. You hypocrite. Listen to what Jesus tells you to do. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not saying, don't take the speck out of your brother's eye. You just take the log out of your own first. But people think, well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't judge each other at all. But there are passages, in fact, that, that seem to say that actually what Jesus says here at the end is right, that we shouldn't hypocritically judge other people, keep a clear eye on what kinds of things are going on in our own lives so that we know that we have kind of a standing to be able to say that to somebody else. And if not, we clear things up in our own lives and then we can say it to them and say, hey, I've struggled with that as well. But then you take the speck out 
of your brother's eye, and that's your responsibility. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this is a long passage, but I want you to hear what it says. Whenever I teach theology classes, I tend to go into this passage at some time or another, and people are like, that's in the Bible? Yeah. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, you Corinthians, and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. The problem is a man has his father's wife. We don't know if it's his stepmom that he's sleeping with or his mother-in-law. We don't know. But it's something sexually immoral within the family. Man has his father's wife, and you're arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Like, they're excited. We're free in Christ. That's what they're saying. We can have sexual relations with anybody. Ought you rather, not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be, look, removed from among you. For though absent in body, I'm present in spirit, and as if present, look, I've already, as an apostle, I've pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. So when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, it means when you go to church, whoa. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, I'll finish it here. And my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Isn't that a lovely statement? And what he probably means here is, look, take him and deliver him over to the kingdom governed by Satan with the goal of his flesh being destroyed. He's not saying that, hey, you know, excommunicate him. He's saying, deliver him over to the kingdom out of the church. Expel him from you. Put him in the kingdom of the world so he'll realize that there's a difference and that he wants to come back into the church so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. See, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Don't, don't come out and start looking around at all, the, all the, the pagan, sexually immoral people and saying, how dare you? That's not what Christians are called to do. Or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. That's not the idea. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Oh, I'm a Christian. If he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one, that probably is a reference to the Lord's Supper. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? What's the answer? Nothing. It's not my job to judge outsiders. Is it not those inside the church, though, you are to judge? The answer? Yes. Well, wait a minute, don't judge lest we be judged. Yeah, no, judge. Not hypocritically, but judge. God judges those outside. So here, summary, purge the evil person from among you. And what's the goal? Well, the goal is there, is their repentance. And when you go back to the passage that we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 5, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Look, by shining a light on these folks, the goal is that they too will become the light like you. There's a guy who, um, who left his wife and uh, children in one of the most difficult ways I've ever seen. 
he went to uh, his home. He had been caught up in an affair with another woman. He went to his home, and he had to collect his things. And when he was collecting his things, he started to walk out the front door, bags in hand. His wife that he's leaving is on the floor, puddled up in tears, moaning, and his children have come, and they've grabbed hold of his legs. Bag, bag, child, child, and he's walking out the door, leaving his family, dragging them as they say, no, daddy, no. He gets to the door, he peels them off, pushes them back, closes the door in their face. The good news about this, the reason that I know him is because through a series of circumstances, everything blew up with his girlfriend, and he genuinely came to faith in Christ. He realized, look, I wasn't a Christian. I genuinely came to faith in Christ, came back to his wife and his daughters pleading for forgiveness. In the end, he's now really, really committed believer in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus. What's really interesting to me, though, is that while he was away from his wife and his children, living this life of unrepentant sexual immorality with another woman... There were two groups of people talking to him. One group was her family. And her family was pleading with him. You do see that what you're doing is clearly against God's way. You do see that you claim to be a Christian and yet you're living in such a way that denies that profession. Guys would get together with him repeatedly. The parents, her parents, would get together with repeating, pleading with the guy. You need to repent. You don't understand. It's not just your marriage that is at stake here. Like, I'm, I'm afraid that you're fooling yourself into believing that you're actually a Christian when you're not. The other group, which included his parents, was like, you know what? Don't worry about it. These are Christian people. Don't worry about it. She wasn't the perfect wife anyway. It was a difficult marriage anyway. And you know what? There's a, there's a possible way for you to love your kids in this situation, but for you to go back groveling on your knees, she basically pushed you into this situation. Both Christian parents, two words. This guy comes back to faith in Christ, and you know who he's the most angry with? First, himself, and second, his parents. Because he's, they lied to me. They lied. How is it loving for them to just not tell me the truth? Responsibility of brothers and sisters in Christ with those who are walking away from God and his ways but yet profess to be Christian is to confront them. So, don't become like them Second, expose them. Lastly, awaken them. There's a, there's a verse at the end here that's really, really great. Oops. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. And so usually in the Bible when that shows up and the quotes show up, you're like, oh, that must be from the Old Testament. He's quoting it. It's not a quote from the Old Testament. It's actually probably a quote from an early Christian poem that they used to sing in church services and stuff. Awake, O sleeper. I'm going to sing it. Awake, O sleeper. Probably 
not that tune. Uh, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, but Christ will shine on you. And his point here is, look, at the end of all of this, it's, this is a plea, isn't it? Awake, who? O sleeper. He's actually pleading with the people who are calling themselves Christians but aren't living in light of these things. And he's saying, come on, arise, wake up. Don't you realize who you are? You're people who in Christ have risen from the dead. Why, why wouldn't you focus on who you are, Paul, in uh, Colossians chapter 3? He makes the same point. If then you have been raised with Christ, as Christians have, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So set your minds on the things that, that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're joined to him, unified with him. So act, act like it. 1 Thessalonians 5.4, same argument, but you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day, the day of judgment, to surprise you like a thief. You're all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep. Awaken, arise, O sleeper. As others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. There's a story about this old lady that I read about a number of years ago. And I'll just finish with this. She, she, was, uh, she was known for visiting the soup kitchens in her town. Every soup kitchen knew who she was. She'd show up, you know, on Monday at one soup kitchen, on Tuesday at another soup kitchen, Wednesday at a soup kitchen, dressed in just poor clothing, dirty. Week after week after week, she'd show up. Well, she was old, and so a number of years went by her doing this, and eventually she, she died. Now, the people who ran the soup kitchens knew her, so they showed up at, the, they showed up at, the, at, at her funeral. There's very few people there. Funeral happens, and as they're walking out, a lawyer comes and says, listen, I need you, you to, is your name, you know, Joe Smith, is your name Nancy Jones? I need you to come into this office over here because uh, she left you something. And these people are like, what? what did she leave me? You know, her tattered clothes, her leftover food. They went into the office, three or four of them, the people who ran the soup kitchens, they sat down across from the lawyer, and the lawyer said, well, to you, she's left $1 million, and to you, she's left another million, and $1 million for all four of them. This woman had $4 million, and yet she was living like a pauper. And how many Christians does that describe? Jesus is risen from the dead and he has given you new life so that you sit along with him at the right hand of the throne of God with all power and authority that he has given to you. Yet, like you are literally the children of the king. Rich beyond measure. Once darkness, but now light in the Lord, but raised with Christ. If there is anyone who should be awake, it's you. So wake up. 
Oh, sleeper, wake up. The light of Christ shine on you. It already is. Rise from the dead. You already have in Christ. Be, be who you, who you are. Live in light of your eternal portfolio. Father, I'm thankful for my friends here, and I praise you that they are your, your loved people. I am well aware, Lord, that in the room here, there's a mixture of different folks. There are folks here who don't know Christ. I pray that they would hear this as a charge to them that they need to know you, and when they know you, it's not a half-hearted thing, Father. Help them to count the cost and be prepared to give everything they've got to follow you. You are worth all of it, Father. Show that to them. There are people here, Father, who are genuine Christians and they have lots and lots of folks in their lives who are half-hearted and not sure what to do. I pray that this passage would speak to them particularly. Encourage them, Father, to not back down from speaking or showing them that their brothers and sisters, so-called brothers and sisters, that they believe and want them to walk in, in Christ better and more. And I pray, Father, for those of, of us who might be asleep, Lord. The spirit, your, your spirit is the only power that we know of that can raise the dead. So would you do it? Would you awaken them that they might have renewal in their hearts and lives and come to you recognizing that the ways that they've lived in the days gone by are not sufficient for someone who is the child of a king? Let's live in light of who we are, we pray. In Jesus' good name, amen.